Is it the music? Is it the story? Is it the lead character? Video games have evolved over the past 40 years to being extremely simple, like Pong, to being experience-driven, like going to an arcade, to having the entertainment in your living room. Welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast, stories and conversation about the modern learning experience. I'm Kara North, and I'm joined, as always, by Joseph Suarez. This is the first part of a series where we deep dive into games and focus on how we can use video games to make better instructional design products. Looking back over the years, there are several things that really stand out to me about the history of video games, but I'll start with my favorite video game and why. Hands down, it has to be Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords, for the original Xbox. But my will was not law. There were disagreements, ambition, and hunger for power. This Star Wars game has probably taken up three to six months of my life. Now, I'm typically not an RPG fan, but this game had a large map and multiple planets to explore. It allowed the lead character to be customized by look and name, and whatever decisions were made in the game, it also impacted the other characters. Also, I like strategy and tend to avoid fighting games, so this game allowed me to play with not having to worry a lot about the battles since the attacks were based on different factors such as charisma and strength of the main character. So tell me, Joe, when you think of video games, which is your favorite and why? Well, as time has gone on, my taste in video games has changed. In my 20s, I liked a lot of action-based games, something like a Team Fortress 2, or the similar type of team-based multiplayer game I was really into. But my tastes have evolved, and now I'm appreciating story-driven games more and more. So games with a very deep and rich story, and I, I feel like I'm almost robbed if I play a game and the story is lacking. So an example of a very rich storyline in games is pretty much anything that's been created by the company BioWare. So that would be the Knights of the Old Republic games 1 and 2. Those were amazing games. And then they continued to evolve their story-based game engine off of that with games like Dragon Age and Mass Effect Andromeda, the most recent game they've created. Move inside, Pathfinder. We'll hold the line out here. Keep them off the Hyperion. You take this to the Archon. Understood, Pathfinder. Each one has kind of owned this choose-your-own-adventure type storytelling where your choices matter and impact later gameplay. Contrast that with a game I've played fairly recently, StarCraft II, where the story was secondary to the gameplay, and I felt ultimately the story was really ridiculous and even contradicted things you've done, because I like to have a sense that the things that I'm working towards in a game are actually accomplishing something. Whereas in StarCraft II, the story just kind of threw things out the window and made it so your actions were basically irrelevant. So it seems that your tastes have evolved from the action-packed games of early consoles to the more thought-provoking games of today. And I completely agree with you. There is something about having that choose-your-own-adventure element, a story-driven game that transcends you from sitting there playing a game to actually making you feel more like you are in this role as this character experiencing these experiences. 
and I was curious what others had to say about their favorite video games. So I conducted some informal market research. I went to my Facebook and Twitter accounts and asked very simply, what is your favorite video game and why? And I got a lot of answers and I found myself having to dig a little deeper and ask follow-ups when people would write a video game as to why they were their favorites. Some of the answers included Halo, Half-Life 1 and 2, Pac-Man, Pokemon Snap, Battlefield 1942, Star Wars Battlefront, Dr. Mario, and the list goes on and on. I found it very interesting. I had a friend from college who got so excited about this thread. He posted multiple times, so shout out to Dave Snellen if he's listening. One interesting story on the thread was when I asked the person who posted about Pokemon Snap why she liked it. And she said that the game was focused on taking pictures. And she remembered when she would return it to Blockbuster, she could print the pictures that she took from the game. Now, I think this is an important point to make because it leads into a physical artifact from a game. I know video game merchandise is huge as I'm sitting next to my Han Solo and Carbonite mini fridge that I got when I ordered the new Star Wars Battlefront for Xbox One. But Joe, what about having this personalized artifact from the game? What value does that have for the players? I think it bridges that gap between the virtual and real world. It's something that people can take as a souvenir, so to speak, from their experience that they played in the game. And I know a similar type thing is buying the collector's edition of a game. So just for a little bit more money, you can have some type of collector's item. Personally, I don't go that route, but a game I remember from way back when on the PC was a game called The Seventh Guest. And this was, for the time, a very revolutionary game where it had fully rendered 3D environments. It even had acted out movie clips of uh, different ghosts that would pop up in the house, which was pretty revolutionary. And it it didn't look great, but the fact that they were ghosts kind of made up for the fact that it was this weird grainy footage put over top this nicely rendered 3D environment. But anyway, I bring up that game to mention that it came with both the game CD and a music CD in the back of all the really amazing music that was included in the game. And I would just kind of sit and listen to that music CD because it was so good. also came with a VHS tape of how the game was made and it was really interesting to hear the developers take on things and it turned out that one of the makers of the game also created pole position for the Atari one of the original great racing games I love the fact that you brought up about the collector's editions of games, even the example you gave about the computer game with the music CD. I am so excited about the new Assassin's Creed Origins game coming out, that it's based in Egypt, and I've been an Assassin's Creed fan for a long time. And let me tell you, if they had a collector's edition or gold edition that had some kind of a camel with it, then I would have spent the extra money. But they didn't go that way, so I just got the standard edition, and I'm looking forward to playing it. 
A brotherhood born in the shadows. They are the first to call themselves the Assassins. So, I've been a video game player for more than 25 years, and I'm also a female. And I've seen games more from having these simple characters, simple female characters, to highly sexualized female leads, to having more relatable characters. Going back to Super Mario Brothers, Princess Peach was straight-laced, and even though she wore a pink, roughly dress, she was the type of character that Mario could take home to his mother. Then there was the controversy of Samus in the Metroid games. In the instruction booklet, which I'll circle back to here in a moment, she was listed as a he, and players would get rewarded based on the time it took to beat the game to Samus stripping down to reveal she was a female bounty hunter. Then fighting games like Mortal Kombat and Soul Calibur focused on accentuating female anatomy, and the rest is history. I will say as a female gamer, I appreciate a relatable female lead. A recent one that comes to memory is Assassin's Creed Syndicate, where you could choose to play between twin characters Jacob and Evie Fry. Jacob was a little bit better at hand-to-hand combat, and Evie was a little bit better at being sneaky. She wasn't over-sexualized, and had it not been for certain missions that you had to play as her brother Jacob, I felt that I could have beat the whole game with her character. Now, I attribute this to game designers starting to take notice that there are females who play video games. So with all of the gamification rally cries throughout learning and development, let's explore what all this means for our instructional design products. In their book, For the Win, How Game Thinking Can Revolutionize Your Business, Kevin Warbach and Dan Hunter define gamification as the use of game elements and game design techniques in non-game context. So as instructional designers, we don't have to build full-fledged games. Just use elements of them, such as what Warbach and Hunter refer to as the PBL triad. And in this case, PBL stands for points, badges, and leaderboards. If you want to learn a little bit more about this, we have a copy of the book to give away. To be entered, share this episode on social media and tag us in it at Redesign Podcast, and we'll randomly select someone to win the book. Now, Joe, of the elements listed in PBL, I guess I'm driven most by the badges. When I play games such as Assassin's Creed or Far Cry, I call myself a scavenger. I want to find everything that the game has, and I want to get that 100% maximum of achieving everything you can in the game. Well, I've read a couple articles recently that were similar to the PBL concept you're talking about, and I've learned that I'm more intrinsically motivated rather than extrinsically. So that means that when I accomplish something in the game, it's mainly for my own benefit. So points and badges that I strive for are just to see how good I can get. So for example, I love the game series XCOM. It's a game that there was a original 90s version of that was really fun to play. And then they just rebooted it in the past few years. And there's XCOM 1 and 2. They got me flanked! 
and I just played a, a round of XCOM 2 where my goal was to complete everything as fast as I could with as few resources as possible. And then at the end of the game, it lists out how well you did as far as how many days it took you to complete the mission. So I took a screenshot of that, but I didn't even share it on social media. That was just for my own record keeping of how well I did. I also really enjoy exploring. I'm an explorer in games, so I really like whenever I enter a brand new environment that I'm not aware of, I haven't been to before, and I pull up the map and everything is completely empty. It's up to me to explore and fill things in. So that inner joy of just wondering what's around the corner, what's over the next ridge type thing is what I found I get a lot of pleasure out of in games. Really intrinsically motivating for me. I certainly agree with that. And one thing that my husband and I frequently say if we're going somewhere new in real life is we're getting the gray off of our map. So that's something that we've kind of incorporated into our day-to-day vocabulary. And that's something that we also enjoy when we play video games as well. Let's circle back to the instruction booklet that I mentioned earlier with Metroid. I can remember in Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, and even like PlayStation and Xbox games, there were instruction booklets that were included with the games. And I can remember reading those over and over and over. And I think I did it not to understand exactly what the A or X button did, but more for a history on the game. There was a Sega racing game that I loved called Road Rash 2 and it was a motorcycle game. And after you finished the race, a computer racer would randomly say something to you. It was illustrated by their snapshot and a block quote of something that they would be saying to you. In the instruction booklet, you got a little bit of history about that particular character, two to three sentence bio on each one. Depending on how you raced and if you damaged certain characters, you would see them give complimentary or nasty comments to you and also potentially help or target you during the race. Now, Joe, this game was published in 1992. Could something like this be the start of a branching scenario? You're making me feel old because I remember Road Rash 2 and I would have guessed it was a little later, but I guess I'm that old that it came out in 1992. I wouldn't call it branching scenarios, more as using conditional logic to determine different outcomes. So in my mind, a branching scenario would be because you defeated Racer X, you get to go off to do a different race on Racetrack Y. So going way back would be the Oregon Trail game, where based on your decisions that you make in the beginning of the game, as far as how many resources you're going to take with you or or who you're going to take as your travel companions and what their professionals are, that will affect different outcomes in the game. A more recent example that is very similar is a game series called The Banner Saga, which carries over a lot of those Oregon Trail game elements and then adds on an almost chess-like battle tactical game on top of it. When the sun stopped in the sky, life continued as normal. From my perspective, it's got a great story. It's kind of slow, slow-paced, but um, you really get into the story. It's it's a great series. Giant Varl defenders were slaughtered. Their strongholds destroyed. Now, I remember playing the Oregon Trail, but it's something that my husband had never 
heard of and didn't remember it in school. So we actually played it a few years ago and he wasn't that impressed. But at the time, it really was a groundbreaking game. You could put in the name of who you are and that kind of carried through the game as long as your name didn't end up on a tombstone that you died of dysentery. Our next few episodes, we'll explore a little bit more about computer games, educational games, and maybe other games out there that can impact instructional design. If you got value out of this episode, please share it, write a review on iTunes, and if you're inclined, visit our Patreon page, which we will have in the show notes links to all of that. We also want to hear from you. How have video games shaped the way that you think about instructional design? Share your comments on our blog or have a discussion with us on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Kara North. And I'm Joe Suarez. Thanks for listening. greater furnace just kicked on that's probably really loud it sounds like you're on an airplane (laughs) one of my favorite games is flight simulator that's why i'm on a airplane right now